So today we are going to talk about a very old topic, our forever faves, our favorite things in fandom that stick around forever and we're not ever going to hate them ever, we swear promise. Um, <laughs> You're allowed to hate them sometimes. Sure, sure. But the thing, touchstone fandoms that I think, uh, the yeah. The ones that, like, if they show up again, you just smile. Right, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Things that you would usually consider yourself a fan of, like, come come hell or high. Um, before we get started with our current obsessions, we just want to make a little quick announcement. Um, as you may have noticed, we are changing our logo. Yay. We have a new logo, courtesy of a wonderful artist. Named Monica. Named Monica. Monica Roebuck, right? Monica Roebuck, and I will post her information. Um in the show notes. Um, she is awesome and was very tolerant of our many, 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 many revisions of this. <laughs> so many. <laughs> so um, and we're also opening a Redbubble store so you can get, finally, nice Jewish fangirls merch and help support the podcast and also get fun stuff for yourself, including t-shirts and socks and stickers and all that kind of thing. Um, and personally, I've looked through the store, and I really like how the logo looks on a red background, and I'm totally getting myself a red t-shirt with our logo on it. Nice. Yeah, I need to order myself a t-shirt. I'm not sure what color yet, but, uh, yeah, I'm excited for that. Um, so, we are going to start off with our current obsessions. Who wants to go first? I'll go. Okay. Okay. Um, I think I posted about this on Facebook, but, uh... Lock and Key is this new Netflix show that. that is based on graphic novels by Joe Hill, who is the son of Stephen King. Um, he writes horror. I think there's a co-author. I'm not sure. He maybe does the writing and there's an artist and whatever, but I don't know the name of the co-creator. But um, this Netflix show is based on the series. And having not read the series, I can tell you that there are definitely horror elements because um, he's a horror writer. Um, there's, there are some episodes that are spookier than others, and there's, there are other times that I'm like, this is not so scary, and then I turn off the lights, and then I'm like, oh, crap, <laughs> that was a bad idea. I'm not getting any sleep tonight. <laughs> um, but the basic premise is that there are, there's this family, and I love the family dynamics in this. Um, they suffered a tragedy, and they are moving back to um, their fa the father's ancestral home, which is called Key House. Their last name is Locke. This is a pun. <laughs> <laughs> um, and they, from the very beginning, they start discovering all of these random keys that are around the house. And these keys, when inserted into various locks, some of which are on, like, cabinets or doors, and some of which appear... Uh, on other places, once you have the key, each of these keys has a certain magical power. Like, for example, there is a key that goes indoors, and as soon as you open it, you can go anywhere, as long as you can visualize the other side um, having a door. And, yeah, and there are, I'm, like, trying to decide how much to spoil. It's pretty new. Yeah, so I'm going to go with very minimal spoilers. I'm just saying that, like, the the key powers get more intriguing and interesting as you go, and there is like there are dark forces at work that really want these keys, um, and the there's uh, three siblings: an older brother named Tyler, a middle sister named Kinsey, and a small adorable child named Bodie. 
And of course, Bodhi is the one who first pops onto this. <laughs> um, and and all of them are very genre savvy. They're like, of course the grown-ups don't notice anything. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, so their sibling dynamics are great. There's um, parent dynamics are interesting also. And I highly recommend this show. It's 10 episodes and it does end on a bit of a cliffhanger because there are more books and hopefully more seasons. But it does feel like a complete story. Um, I wonder if they're aiming for the Stranger Things audience. Stranger Things, Haunting of Hill House, Umbrella Academy. I think they're it, it, all basically sound yeah. like the same story. I was thinking <laughs> it's like a series of unfortunate events meets mm. um, shoot, oh, like Pan's Labyrinth. Mm. I don't know why that's <laughs> yeah. what jumped in my head, but also because I'm terrified of this mm-hmm. show and I'm never going to watch it. I just want to say that the actress who plays the the sister, Kinsey, so I love this character, um, but the actress herself looks like if you took Cara Delevingne mm-hmm. and matched her with Jenna Coleman from Doctor Who, <laughs> like literally if you just matched their faces together and blended it on one of those funny. face apps, that's exactly what she looks like. Right. It is uncanny. So um, yeah, but I think that she's uh, extremely talented and I hope that she gets more work after this. Awesome. How about you, Tamar? Um... I had to take a cup of my tea, and we all just called me out. Okay, but I don't have one yet, so you have to go. <laughs> uh, so, so I'm very, as we're recording it, it's a few days after the release of BTS's new album app of The Soul 7, and it's about to go debut at number one on the Billboard 200 chart, which, which means that it's going to be their fourth ever number one, which is just, like, bonkers for any artist, let alone a South Korean pop group. And I really like it. Um, I got to interview the band the other day, which was really super exciting, and they were really great, and the album's really, really, uh, I didn't actually think, like, on first listen I was going to enjoy it as much as I do, and now I'm just, like, I've had it on repeat for days, just because there wasn't, I really like their fun songs, like, they're really funky songs, neither Michal nor SM know what I'm talking about. But if anybody's listening, really, I love Anpan Man, and they're just like they're nodding, like they're, they're like, like nodding, like you know, I think. But like, I just really love their more like upbeat and festive moments, like I'm fine and stuff. And just this album didn't really have any of that, but then it did. Like it hit me, and I guess I really like right now. I'm listening to Louder Than Bombs and Moon, Moon, not Moon, Moon a lot. And yeah, I really like the album. I'm excited because there's a new music video dropping after we record this, and I'm excited to see them touring it. MetLife in May? Yeah, right after Shavuot. Mm. Or right before Shavuot? The week of Shavuot, Shavuot either before or after. Cheesecake time. I think it's after Shavuot, because I remember looking and being like, yeah, I don't have to care about the Omer, like, which part of the I'm keeping. Yeah, it's really <laughs> early, because it's over BEA this year, which is a bummer. All my conventions, basically, this year are, like, belonged oh, yeah. by right. <laughs> So, okay, so I... Full disclosure, I'm I'm still obsessed with The Witcher. I'm <laughs> reading the last <laughs> Witcher book now, the last novel, and I'm just like I'm I'm full, I'm drowning. Um, I'm so obsessed, and something just happened that was like so cathartic, and I've been waiting for like three books to happen. And she keeps like, posting <laughs> on Facebook. About I'm getting annoyed because I'm I'm. I'm, I'm trying, trying to get it from the library, and like I just see these really like annoying redacted tweets she's tweeting. <laughs> I was like, who did he want with? <laughs> yeah, it's not too hard to figure out once you know the character. Um, yeah. So, um, in lieu of of doing um, a, a double obsession, um, class Michelle, I've never done that. No, I don't think we have. Um, I probably have. Yeah, or, or at least two, like two episodes in a row, I, I can't justify it. 
Um, but I will talk about Cheer, which is a also a Netflix um, documentary series. Didn't we discuss it last time? Did we? No, I don't no. think so. Who the heck was I talking to Cheer about then? <laughs> I haven't heard of this before. What is it about? So Cheer is a, it's a documentary, so it's real. Um, it's six episodes. It's set in Corsicana, Texas. Ooh. Yeah. So this is about cheerleading? It is. For the football, because the football is but very big now. But not really, because cheer is its own thing. The sport. It doesn't like, have oh. to be connected to, like, you're cheering for a team. And it's about uh, Navarro College, which is like a two-year associate's degree college in nowhere. Um, and they have apparently the best cheerleading program in the country. So it's about their team and about their performance at um, Daytona, which is the, the national national yeah national <laughs> cheerleading competition. There's no like regionals or anything. It's yeah. just one competition. I'm just imagining that this is the competition that Sue Sylvester won every year. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's really interesting. And part of it like taps into, frankly, like that, that thing of like American Northerners, like how much we love to fetishize the South. And we're like, oh my goodness, people live this way. You know? <laughs> Look you at their the, accents. Have you watched Friday Night Lights? Uh, no, but it I've sounds read like a counterpart. Educated, yeah. Uh, it's the it, football counterpart. But yeah. it's oh it's so good. But but it's really compelling and the characters are really are really good and you just like you you kind of learn about these kids and why they why they've come to put themselves through this incredibly punishing sport. Um, which is just wildly dangerous and, you know, vastly underrated in terms of its athleticism. Um, and you get to know the coach, and the coach is actually a really good example of why it's hard sometimes to portray women on in fiction because she's, like, nasty and awful, but then she's also loving and cares for her her team, and she's a very complicated she's a person. Sylvester. She's very complicated. So yeah. probably not as mean as Sue Sylvester. <laughs> I don't know. I never watched. Like, so, yeah, I'm, I'm pretending I know what you're talking. About. I gotcha. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, so it's it's really good, and it's six episodes. Um, very human stories, very compelling. Um, yeah, I uh, I definitely am a fan, and do recommend it. I also watched it while I was in Disney World, and apparently a lot of People from like Florida, Louisiana, and Georgia go to Disney World, obviously. So I was like, oh my god, the accents are the same. <laughs> and I was like, oh my god, I need to get out of my bubble. <laughs> <laughs> I love southern accents though. Uh, there's a lot of different ones. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. All right. So we are going to now move on to our main topic, our forever favorites. Forever faves. So, Tamar, do you have Harry Potter on there? I do. Okay. So do you you and me want to take Harry Potter? Sure. Okay. I mean, it's not like I haven't read them, but I'm <laughs> <laughs> take the lead No, on no, no. Them. There's certainly, like, a, there's a difference, I think, between, like, I love Lord of the Rings, but it's not a forever Same. Thing for me. I get yeah. into it for, like, a minute. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm bringing the Silmarillion with me on my trip, and I'm excited to yeah, read I've it. Never I've never read it. I've never finished it. Like, <laughs> Oh, I've never read it. I'm not doing it. It's really, I mean, I bring it, so pretty much I bought it, this is the second time now I bought it when I was overseas and needed a Shabbos book, because it takes so long to read. So, and I'm like, okay with leaving it at the hotel, so on the way back I'll have more space. Like, I feel bad that it's a book that I can buy again if I really want it. Uh, I don't think I'm ever going to want to read it again. It is so dense. Anyway, (laughs) Harry Potter is great, though. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, so for me, Harry Potter has been kind of like my gateway into fantasy fandom. Like, I wouldn't say I wasn't 
into anything before then, but I do remember being in like fourth grade and being like, I love realistic fiction <laughs> and like all the stuff we were reading for school and like a thousand cranes and and all these all these different books. Never. Oh and that was just a never. I know. I know. <laughs> it's so weird. But it's also like I don't read any of that stuff now, so it's hilarious. Um, Harry Potter kind of ruined me for for everything. I just yeah. had him pause because Nicole's wearing a t-shirt and I couldn't see it, but it's a unicorn reaching for coffee, and it says this coffee better kick in before reality does. It's a very grumpy looking. Thing. Yeah. Uh, tea public. Got a got a little bit. No, tea public. Yeah, T-Turtle. The tea T-Turtle. looks like T-Turtle. There you go. So, yeah, Harry Potter has kind of been with me for a very, 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 very long time and um, was an important part of a lot of important parts of my life. And I just can't ever see not being able to, like, sink into those books and just, like, you know, whatever whatever you think about all the stuff around the books, whether it's the movies, whether it's J.K. Rowling, whether it's the Fantastic Beasts, whether it's anything – when you sit down and just sink into the books themselves, I just always find this incredible sense of comfort and, like, like coming home. Uh, I do also, but I also feel, because I'm a critical, nasty bitch nowadays, <laughs> that, like, I don't enjoy certain elements that I used to really love, like Lupin and Remus. Lupin and Sirius suck. Um, <laughs> so I'm sorry if anyone, like, likes them, but they're so inappropriate as adults, which I understand as an adult, but, like, they are not good people like to children that they're like I don't know like when you compare them to most of the other adults in the, in the no they're really, they're really reckless like I could go on for, okay we're not discussing this right now yeah. but I really I really the last time I reread the books I like came out like shocked with how annoyed I was at Lupin like leaving Tonks and I'm just like well, you're right the end yeah yeah but Lupin like does make a lot of reckless and decisions. like Sirius like spends half of the books trying to t- tell Harry to break all the rules but yeah. like Harry's life isn't like happy go lucky like the Marauder. Okay, anyway, yeah, yeah. but I do remember like I was I remember exactly where I was when I heard about Harry Potter for the first time. I was in Mrs. Adolph's third grade class and the lower level of the third grade at SAR, she has purple eyes. Yeah. Um she doesn't I asked her daughter a few months ago. No, they're contact lenses. Yeah, 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 but like she didn't wear those contact lenses anymore. Oh, I remember I was on my way to Ricky Feuerstein's bot mitzvah when this fifth book I think it was the fifth book came out and I like wouldn't get out of the car Ricky Fiorstein it was my best friend growing up I got out eventually but I was like okay let's end this party quickly so we can all get back to reading and like Ricky respected this um I had like a bloody nose over the fourth book you my copy still has like blood on it it was really like I just kept reading because I was just, like screw this there's also a, a coke stain from another reading on it that book has been through the ringer the fourth book I don't know why that one to clarify it's coca-cola Right. Yes, it's Coca-Cola. <laughs> I know it wasn't bleeding because of Coke. Twelve-year-old um, <laughs> tomorrow party really are. Uh, yeah, I I don't know. I just like remember a lot of my life. Like even just sitting here, I was thinking, oh, the first time I heard about fanfic was because I was talking to some. I don't know why so many of my Harry Potter memories have to do with the SAR Academy, but they it makes sense that they do because yeah, that's when they came out. Small, yeah. But I remember somebody told me about Harry Potter during uh, fifth grade drama rehearsal like after school someone told me about fan fiction so we just ditched the rehearsal and we went to the library and went on fanfic.net and that was the first time I learned about fan fiction um I don't know just so much of my fandom life came out of Harry Potter so much of the way I engage with fandom came out of Harry Potter the I think the idea of like collective fandom really was like enmeshed in me because of Harry Potter Mm -hmm. because so much of our childhood was like everybody knew Harry Potter like 
I was working. It was something you shared with total strangers. Yeah, and like we still do, but that experience, like I definitely feel a big difference between my brother who had never read Harry Potter and my sister who lived it with me. And like our relationship is just very, very different. And, you know, like I remember like SM's dad, I had him as a teacher in sixth grade and, you know, we had a Harry Potter night and we went to see the movie and we had a sorting hat in the middle of this. <laughs> he had a Harry it. Potter club where they <laughs> yeah. literally wrote fan fiction together. <laughs> he gave us... He wrote after, fan fiction and then he encouraged other people to indulge his obsession. He gave us he gave us Minhook after Minhook questions that were almost always about Harry Potter and we could get candy from them. Yeah, like, Rosenbox. Oh yeah, oh Rosenbox. It wasn't candy. I think you, oh, you could get candy you could too. Buy candy <laughs> yeah, but you could also get like points. Like this was really. Um, he had very sophisticated incentive systems. <laughs> I mean, I I remember like I still remember one question. Yeah, yeah. Which one? It was who is somebody in Harry Potter who's First and last name are food. No, I'm blanking on all the characters. Yeah, it was fun. Ah. <laughs> but like we were all were like, we don't know. Yeah. We're so dumb. <laughs> <laughs> Our sixth grade brains couldn't handle it. <laughs> he gave whole Harry Potter Jeopardies. Um, Oh, wow. Or, like, and at, at our bar and bat mitzvahs, he would do a Jeopardy, and, like, there would be different categories, you know, like the Parsha, and... Uh, do you hate Harry Potter because of this? No, I don't oh, hate okay. Harry Potter. <laughs> no, I'm just, like, I'm just I don't like, think it's, a, you know, I, th- I think it's cute. Like, but, Harry um, Potter was another one of your father's children. <laughs> <laughs> we always knew we came first. Like, we were there, you know, to encourage his obsession and be like, Abba, did you ever think about this? that's so special like being able to talk to a parent like about my mother discovered Harry Potter but she did not read it we had them on audiobook in the car my mom we listened to them so many times that we like they were CDs and we would play the CD on shuffle because (laughs) that is how well we knew the story Um, that we didn't care if we heard it in order anymore I tried reading them to my mom once because my mom never read me books once I learned how to read and I was just like mom you need to hear this and she fell asleep (laughs) and my dad one time we went to an event with um, Stephen King and J.K. Yes, Rowling. I went to that same event. Who was the other one? Uh, John Irving. Yes, and yeah. and my dad like could I not shaking. figure it out. To be fair, she read a really too. random chapter from Half Blood Prince, yeah. and my dad was my dad was just like, "What is happening?" I was like, "You, you <laughs> and my brother who are here are literally the only people in this room who have no idea yeah. what just she just she read." She read the secret riddle. It was amazing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I found podcasting through Harry Potter. That was I, I remember it was like Tish above, and. Mugglecast released like one of their first or second episodes, and I was like, I don't know what this is, but I'll like listen to it on my computer. And um, and here we are. Here we are. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's it's really it's something super special. I also have stories about like every single book coming out. I'm like, you know, the whole yeah. the whole thing. Um, yeah, that's definitely I think my primary uh, forever fave. I I would get a Harry Potter tattoo if if I could. I I always thought it would be like a little lightning bolt. And now I'm like, maybe it would be like a little silhouette of Hogwarts. Oh, that's cute. I know. You could always do both. You could do Hogwarts with a little silhouette of a lightning that's bolt true. on top of it. That's true. Maybe the lightning struck tower. Anyway, it's not going to happen. So. <laughs> <laughs> you can get a temporary tattoo. Yes, yes. I feel um, like, I don't know for this for sure, but I feel like there are companies out there where you can like design, your own design a tattoo mm-hmm, and, there are. and then they'll just send it to you. Yeah, yeah. So do you guys want to talk about work who's again <laughs> well, Marcos again is on my list of forever faves. Um, so to clarify what this is, it's a book series. <laughs> um, it's a book series, the Vorkosigan Saga by Lois McMaster Bujold. It's science fiction. Okay, so I'm going to interrupt because.
can. I, I, yeah. It is science fiction, but I always consider it kind of almost like a fantasy book with science fiction elements to it because it's like a lot of what goes on reminds the way that she writes is more like what I associate with fantasy writers rather than sci-fi writers like if you gave them a wand instead of a gun in a lot of scenes like it would play out the way that I feel like a lot of fantasy writers write to be fair I don't read a whole lot of sci-fi but like it really appeals to me as someone who's a big fantasy reader who did not read sci-fi pretty much ever um I just think like she's really good at world building you can feel her characters grow with her writing like she's even commented later on about like things that she would have changed about earlier books or she's written books that she kind of um, not explains away, but like almost redacts some of what's going out on in the earlier, not all of what's going on in the earlier books, but like she, you know, like there's some odd stuff with sexuality and non-consensual sex, AKA rape that like the, the characters do struggle with, but like you can clearly tell in later books, she also developed her writing more like her thoughts of it more, which I appreciate. Um, the story is about, do you want to say the story? Um, well, the main story, see, there are a lot of side quests, <laughs> and that's one of the caveats that I have to tell people, because some people are like, I'm going to read them all from the very first book in the series chronologically. You know, and it's I mean, like, honestly, that one takes place 200 years before anything. <laughs> do not read the side quests before I, you read the main quest. I actually do think, I having read just the first the you know whatever the the Cordelia's honor yeah, but that's duology not, yeah. right it struck me as extremely sci-fi styled writing but the fact that you have to know the order of books and that it is not immediately obvious is a very fantasy thing i mean she also wrote them in such a way that you they do most for the most part stand on their own like eh. you can you will you will be missing a bit of context but the stories themselves make sense and like she deliberately designed them as like she described it as each book is their own lifeboat but i do highly recommend if you're going to start it start either with cordelia's honor or with the warrior's apprentice um the Warrior's Apprentice is the first Miles Verkosigan book. Miles is, for the most part, the protagonist of the entire oh. series. I'm going to disagree only because I really mm-hmm. think that you really need to read Cordelia's Honor because of one story. I plot prefer line. Cordelia's Honor. No, but I think that, like, like the whole plot with, like, I what's his name, Bathari. Yeah, like, I think you need it to read the first. It will make a lot like, less sense. Like, his relationship with him is so, I mean, mm-hmm. like, I just think his relationship, Miles' relationship with adults is so much clearer be- if you read Cordelia's Honor. Like, I think, like, if you just jump into it, I would be really confused what the heck is happening. Like, why is he randomly respecting this person who everyone else in the world knows is crazy? And you're just like, this guy is evil, except not to Miles. Um, well, you can see that, like, he, you know, he fits a very particular role in Miles' life and in the lives of Miles' family. Um, and, you know, that doesn't absolve him of things that he's done in the past and, like, right, but I think, moral failings. And I think his character, like, just ju- if I just jumped into that one, mm-hmm. I would be confused, like, about who this character is two miles i don't know i i think it's it's set up you know there you get i think that you know you get enough of miles's you know life to see how he interacts with this person and what this person means to him well what would you guys say like what makes it a forever faith for you so what makes it a forever faith for me i think (laughs) i mentioned it last week in our podcast which is not up yet but the last episode i mentioned how i was reading a untamed fanfic called a civil (laughs) compain and literally that night 
Michal tagged me in one of her friend's tweets about The Untamed, and it turned out she is the writer of that fic. <laughs> so that fic, which has now applied for Costigan Wisdom, like something that Cordelia says in one of the books about like family, gets like turned into a major quote in that story. But like, it is so good that you have all these learned teachings and all these great plot lines that other people can apply to other parts of life. It's kind of like Harry Potter in the way, like, the way that miles grows up mm-hmm. like you grow up with the reader even though i read these like two years ago for the first time yeah no i really enjoy so it's very character centric there are really good relationships and dynamics that are going on there are also a lot of really good um like you mentioned world building she has really good cultural dynamics going on culture clash and how things fit together and don't fit together and how different people from different societies approach things um i I think that's probably one of my favorite things is like the two main characters in Cordelia's Honor are from two very clearly different worlds. Like one is very progressive and one's very conservative. And the whole point is that they end up coming to respect each other and their cultures. And like they don't have to like well, follow that, them. That, that's definitely fantasy. No, it's definitely. <laughs> but like later on. But it's in the also he's progressive. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 he's progressive. But and, like, yeah. But like then there are times where she admits that like their way might be better later on in the series and like. Not so much. She's still pretty... Yeah, but they, um, they do have, like, an exchange in the beginning mm-hmm. of, like, you know, just about the dating customs mm-hmm. on, like, on her world and on his world, you know, and she talks about how, like, you know, not having any rules can sometimes be very harmful, you mm-hmm. know, and, like, maybe if she'd had more structure to her dating life, certain things would have gone well, differently. like, the whole point is, like, the first book starts off with her fleeing her well not starts but like a lot of it starts off with her like leaving her really uh not restricted but like very structured lifestyle like they're like you need to go to therapy and for the reasons she's like no this is not it struck me as a very it's a communist utopia type of thing yeah similar to well they kind of they they seem very perfect on the surface, but anybody who doesn't fit the mold gets mm. sent to the mental health bureau. Yeah. You don't want to go to well, the yeah, mental health the bureau. End, the end of Cordelia, or the first part of Cordelia's honor, yeah. is like pretty harrowing when she's yeah. like escaping. Yeah, her. I mean, I don't think it's communist because it does seem like money comes into play, but definitely, right. definitely, it's very socialized, yeah. like welfare and like uh, like healthcare, definitely like. But versus yeah, on she the- was like astonished by the fact that like on his planet that. People still live in, you know, the back country and don't, she's like, no comm consoles, no yeah. computers. And she, they're like, these people don't even have access to food and water. Which, which, is, <laughs> which is so funny because if I feel like if she was writing it now, like, like you'd have to like, not you'd have to, but like, like where Cordelia's from, like you'd have to upgrade the sci-fi elements so much because like even like backwater is in the middle of nowhere nowadays you know like mm-hmm. like she was writing it in the 70s or 80s 80s like computers weren't household equipment at that point mm-hmm. like it's really sci-fi I don't know yeah. I mean like the love it Cordelia's colony Cordelia comes from beta colony which is a, an entirely constructed world like mm-hmm. they're you know they had to terraform and everything that's there is because they built it there right. as opposed to Bariar which is you know a natural planet and you can live you know without having to be under a dome and like in an atmosphere that has been specifically uh, calibrated for you so so it makes sense that those societies would yeah so like the way things evolve like in different societies they make sense based on the planetary geography and everything that she gives them in the history um and there's also like just the characters toward the later books in the beginning there's always like a singular viewpoint character and as the books go on more viewpoints get introduced and like i love rotating viewpoints more than like anything so <laughs> 
one of my favorite, my probably my favorite book in the series is, is more towards the end. It's called A Civil Campaign. It's the best. I love it so much. And there are like great five, title happens to be. five viewpoint characters. And they all have their individual outlooks and their individual plot lines that are going on and things. The last thing that I find amazing about her books is that when they're really good, she has this way of combining the A plot, the B plot, the C plot into a very satisfying and really triumphant conclusion. Mm-hmm. And like, yeah, so like the each thread is really interesting on its own and then she'll make them all fit together and it just like, it's masterful. Yeah, that's also... A good notice for uh, writers, by the way. Like, you don't actually have to start with seven points of view in your first novel. Um, it might, Speaking it's of. It's usually better if you don't. Um, Speaking of a viewpoints. Maybe you're brilliant. My first novel had five. Yeah, my first novel had five. I, I, re- I don't regret it at all. <laughs> I don't regret it at all because I really, I had a good sense of all of the characters, but like not everybody is going to. Right. Talk about your obsession that has a lot of viewpoints. Yes. Um. So Game of Thrones, and I, 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 I'm sorry that I'm calling it Game of Thrones. A Song of Ice and Fire um, by George R. R. Martin is, I think all of my books actually. Um, That's okay. Is um a really, I mean, I, I do, it doesn't really need any introduction, but um, it's a series that I started reading in high school um and I it's like been with me for a very long time I haven't like been in it for all of that time like there were definitely a couple of years I think after A Feast for Crows came out where I was just like uh yeah and then but then um and then you know when the show came out I I started getting back into it and I did a reread and I really haven't left the community since and I've met a ton of friends through it I've met like you know really like really close friends um formed internet communities um and it's a story that like is very challenging and it's it's not like it's the opposite of harry potter i do not go back to a song of ice and fire for comfort or go back for annoyance (laughs) and frustration I, i go back for like almost analysis more than anything else like how am I suffering in this why am I suffering in this chapter um but you know Sansa Stark is a character that has like made a huge impact on my life um and she she's she's one of those characters that um I've found myself in like I I rarely find myself in in fiction it's it's you know it's exciting it's the the community is shockingly adorable considering the material that we've uh been given um or lack thereof, and yeah, it's just really, um, it's something that means a lot to me, and that I'm, I'm, like, really grateful to have, like, been part of, um, it's, it's one of those things where, like, you, you know, you, like, I feel like a lot of people who are extremely online, capital E, capital O, mm-hmm. um, have moments where, like, there's something they googled, or a link they followed, or somebody they saw on Twitter, and that, like, changed their internet life, or even their real life, and for me, one of those was, like, looking up, like, after I was finished with my, my reread back in 2010, um, looking up a podcast for A Song of Ice and Fire, and I found the podcast of Ice and Fire, and that led me to uh, a whole community that I'm still part of. Mm-hmm. So. I love it. You know. Okay, so should we, should <laughs> yeah. we do round robins? Okay. Yeah. I have three more, and you have two more, and you have one more. Well, I have a bunch, but. Oh, okay, so then. So, SM, why don't you start with Star Trek? Okay, so I was going to say Star Trek, and specifically uh, Next Generation, although I do like a lot of the different series, um, but I particularly love the Next Generation and the cast of characters there, and 
I wanted to pick one episode that I usually show to people who haven't seen any Star Trek whatsoever. And this is actually an episode that a lot of the fandom does not like (laughs) and makes fun of and thinks is dumb, but I think it is brilliant and amazing and exemplifies what is amazing about Star Trek. So it starts with, as many episodes do, a transporter accident. It's called Rascals, by the way. This episode is called Rascals. Little? (laughs) Well, that's part of why what happens in the transporter accident. So Picard and uh, Guinan and Keiko O'Brien and Ro Laren are in caught in a transporter accident, and they are all turned into children. So you get child <laughs> Picard with hair, and you have this small child who's like teenager who goes, you know, who says all the Picard things like "What the devil?" And <laughs> it's and, and like it starts off with like them, you know, they're kind of in crisis and trying to figure out like how do we go forward if we can't fix this? Like, does you know what does it mean to have a second childhood and to be able to do so much of your life over again? You know, and like people don't respect you the same way and people don't view you the same way. Um, so. Like, do you have to, you know, go back to school and live in an environment with, you know, other children? Or, like, it starts out like it, this, you know, Star Trek-y conundrum. They, it starts off with, like, this kind of serious view on, like, what would happen if, you know, adults were turned into children and had to figure out what to do next with their lives. Um, but then, plot happens. And the ship gets attacked. And bad guys hijack the ship. And they take over. And they don't know that major command crew, and the ca- including the captain, have been turned into children. So they just shuttle them away with all the other children into the, like the daycare center, and <laughs> then <laughs> and they and they hold the the you know adults of the crew hostage, but they don't view any of the kids as a threat, which is obviously silly. And then shenanigans happen, and it's all about the kids embracing ha- being viewed as kids. And Picard throws a temper tantrum, and he's like, "I want to see my father. I want to see him now, 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 now." And the and the bad guy is just like, "Fine." I'll take you to him, you know, and he uh, takes him to Riker. (laughs) And they get to conspire together um, in code. Um, And it's just, you know, so it's just like this fabulous space adventure. um, And it's ridiculous and silly. And I just think that, you know, one of the things that people who haven't started Star Trek find daunting about Star Trek is that it just doesn't seem like fun, you know? Like, it seems like... That's one of the things. It seems, you know, there's just also, there's so much of it, but also it just, like, it seems like, you know, it's like a heavy, moralistic, you know, sci-fi sort of thing. And, like, it's really not. (laughs) When it's really good, there is so much comic relief, and there is just, like, a combination of, you know, not taking itself too seriously, but also having fabulous adventures um and yeah so i just really love this episode and i've like i've started i've gotten people hooked on star trek by starting them with this episode specifically <laughs> <laughs> to be fair i definitely watch that uh i don't remember if i've watched that episode um well, so good yeah so what another one of mine is the um queen's thief series by megan Mylan turner um <laughs> goddess of my life um she is an incredible writer and uh, I also found those in, in college, and I was actually super obnoxious because I it, it actually this is one of those internet searches that like goes that changes your life. I was searching for the Republic of Thieves by Scott Lynch, which at that point had not come out, would not come out for another couple of years, um, and I found the Thief, 
That's I, how I found Harry Potter. Oh, yeah? He still hasn't written more looking, than three, yes? Huh? My library yeah, hasn't published the fourth yet. Okay, yeah. I've given up. Uh, yeah. Um, love you, Scott. Um, my library is just really bad, and they had misshelled something. Uh, they had misshelled the first Harry Potter book in the B section instead of the R <laughs> section, and I was looking for a Francis Hodgson Burnett book, and I found Harry Potter, uh, and I was like, well, I heard something about this. I'll try it out, I guess. <laughs> um, yeah, so I found this series of allegedly middle grade slash YA books. There were three out, I think, at the time. And I, I read them and I was like, oh my God, like these are really good. At first I was like really skeptical. I was like, oh, well, the first one's okay. And then I read the second one. And the second one is where the drama happens. So much drama. Oh my God. And I am, uh, if I hate romance, I love drama. <laughs> like, characters suffering, characters uncertain if they're going to survive a situation. Like, forget it. I love it. I love it. And that is the second book, so I was hooked. Um, third book is amazing. The fourth book actually came out pretty soon after I had um, found the series. And now there's one more. And there's supposed to be the final book coming out in August. It's It's been delayed a couple times, so we'll see. But it's just a beautifully written, incredibly compact and powerful series like once once you understand what like I've had to put down the book a couple times because I'm just like this sentence is doing six things at once and that is just a unfair an unfair level of skill so yeah Megan Waylon Turner one of my one of my uh, unlauded favorites uh, yeah one of the goats yeah so the other one is after the last airbender which Ooh. I also found actually in relation to Harry Potter I don't know, I don't remember if I shared this story before, but my sister and I needed something to watch to distract us from the wait for Harry, for the last Harry Potter, because we were starting to like get overwhelmed with anxiety. And I was like, oh, well, we'll watch this show. You know, Akiva, my brother had been watching it in the background and like, he's much younger than us. And I was like, oh, it's probably bad, but like, I've heard it's okay. And we watched like the first, I don't know, 10 episodes and we were, you know, until you get to, like, the pivotal explanation episode of the first season, which is followed by another excellent episode. And when, you know, we, we went a 180-degree turn from, like, uh, this is for babies and cartoons to, oh, my God, we are actually obsessed. Um, and my sister and I actually did a podcast briefly on the third season of Avatar. Mm-hmm. Um, we didn't end up finishing this So, season. of course, the next question is, how do you feel about Legend? I love Legend of Korra. I don't think the second season is good. I like the um, last two seasons the best. I, I loved the first season. I think the first season is hugely compelling and really good. I don't think it ends very I, well. But I was going to say I stopped watching at the start of the second season because I thought I didn't like the end of the first one and I didn't particularly enjoy the start of the second one. I know people have been telling me I need to get to that episode that's about like the mythology yeah. of Avatars. I just need to watch that one day. Yeah. Um, <laughs> honestly, it's it's good to have on, like you could watch the second season pretty quickly. Um, the middle the middle episode that is about the Avatar lore I found really, really powerful really and unexpected. Um, which is hard to pull off from a from a, an established lore perspective. Um, and the animation is cool. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't love Korra the same way I love Avatar, but I also think that people who are like, Avatar, good, Korra, bad, are just wrong. Yeah, no, there's though, just, I felt like, you know, because there are fewer episodes, it's much yeah. more plot-driven, and it doesn't get, you don't older. get to sink into the characters it's, as exactly. much. It's, it's exactly. It's just a different dynamic, and that's, I think, valid for creators to, like, do something a little different. Like, they don't have to make Avatar 2, you like, know? Korra's on me forever. <laughs> that was that was that was quite something. I you know it felt like a big step forward at the time. I'm not sure we've really <laughs> moved on, <laughs> but uh, yeah, 
Oh, me. Oh, yeah. Sorry. I wasn't sure if you were done. Um, I'm going to go quickly. Tara forever. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm never going to finish Korra, uh, Dragon Prince instead. Uh, <laughs> um, so uh, I'm going to talk quickly about the love of my life, K-pop. And that's Yay! pretty much it. If you like it, you like it. If not, I will attempt to make you like it. But nobody, that's never really successful. Like usually my friends who like it are like, I discovered this thing. Not you told me about this thing. Which is <laughs> kind of how the rabbit hole of K-pop happens. Uh, in my experience, I know a lot of people have friends. They've turned into K-pop fans, but I'm just not somebody who's gonna like. I just don't. You're not a missionary. No, I'm not. Like, I mean, this. I mean, it is my job, so I do missionaries, <laughs> but in other ways. Um, but yeah, K-pop's amazing. I love it. It's a lot of headaches and a lot of stress for me personally because it's my life, but uh, it's great. It makes me so happy, even when it doesn't. Uh, but too, like the music parts of it, everything, or like, like the music, the the people, the bands, the, the people, like the, the bands, every, everything. Like I love that I can learn a lot about a different culture across the world. I can learn about the individuals who are part of this culture. Some of them don't even come from Korea. A lot of them don't come from Korea. I can interact with fans throughout the whole world who know how it feels to be feeling these like really intense parasocial relationships that most people feel with books, but these are like or like fictional characters. These are actual real people. I actually wrote my college essay on the this on like the way that k-pop is approached like transmedia like elements like lost and star wars like have all these different elements across media platforms to make you like it and become more obsessed and k-pop does that really intensely uh but they're real people so the feelings are even weirder and sometimes when some of them announce that they knocked up their girlfriend and they're getting married fans get really mad (laughs) but i'm really happy for you chen like seriously i'm so happy for you um i think his fans are really honestly really it's really cruel anyway um, but I didn't want to talk about K-pop because I still want to do, I don't know, a K-pop episode or a music episode one day. Oh, yeah, yeah. But my other fandoms that Wait, I, like, I just wanted to ask you, what yeah. was your first exposure to K-pop? Like, what was the first thing that you remember? Um, the first thing I remember was probably Wonder Girls is, uh, So Hot. I believe it was from Perez Hilton, which is embarrassing. Mm. Uh, it was definitely a Wonder Girls song. I don't remember if it was So Hot or Nobody or Tell Me Wonder Girls were the first K-pop artists to land on the Billboard Hot 100 chart with their, the English version of their song, Nobody. They were hugely viral success in 2008 with a lot of hits that, like, were some of the first viral music videos throughout the world. So, like, their dances, I still remember the dances that, like, they were performing their songs. Their dances became really popular. So they were one of the first musical artists to, like, have a song that the dance became really popular. Mm-hmm. So it's not that it wasn't happening with other ones because, like, we had so many viral memes and stuff, but it was the first one for K-pop. So, like, the, one of the first videos I remember watching was, like... <laughs> prisoners in i think it's jakarta their exercise their guard taught them k-pop dances and they performed them they did other ones they also did like thriller uh they were famous for this stuff and i remember they did a bunch of wonder girls and big bangs and super junior it just it was a very popular thing and i remember like really getting invested to it at that point k-pop was really popular already but it was still really niche in english language media until i watch a variety show where you know your where your favorite k-pop stars talked about their feelings or something you had to like go on youtube and watch like happy together part one of eight but happy together was written in symbols so it wasn't taken down by copyright and then you'd sometimes like watch through like part four of eight and then realize five of eight has been taken down but you can maybe watch six of eight if you want but you miss a whole like part of the show and it's really annoying because they're <laughs> spilling their feelings and talking to each member who they don't get along with and you spit in their face with coke um that definitely happened um but my other faves that, like, are still not, they're still relevant to my life, but they're not what they once were. But when I get to talk about them, I get really excited. Uh, is Charmed. I just remember today 
um, in a conversation about AIM that one of my first uh, password my for one of my first screen names was is a charmed one and I'm still really proud of that one I was like <laughs> is a charmed one with the one and I was just like this is great nobody like it's cute and it's a good pun and I'm really proud of myself for that I my sister and I really bonded over charmed it was one of the first shows that we both liked together I remember sneaking up past my bedtime sometimes to watch it uh, I read the books I love the books I've never read the comics I don't particularly think that they needed to finish the story after the show ended the show ended I I don't think it was the best final season the final season was actually a whole mess but the finale ended things so nicely it's kind of like the good place finale where you just felt very settled you knew that everything ended well and that all your favorite characters have good lives which is like not the way that real world works but that's how I want a book or a tv yeah, show to end and so many right so so which which was good and bad but like so many tv shows just kind of end when they need to end not when they can end and they really wrapped up charmed as messy as the final season was they like they continued on some elements that had been going on like I just rewatched it two years ago for the first time in full on Netflix and there was something really early on that came about, like, in the eighth season. I didn't remember that. I don't think I've ever seen that original episode before. And, like, I don't, I mean, I don't know. Like, I don't care about spoilers. It's been that for so long. <laughs> but, like, um, Alyssa Milano's character, Phoebe, like, apparently she had this really intense relationship. Um, emotion, she was a empath. So in the show she had, a, in the, like, first season, she had a really intense relationship with a Cupid she was trying to help out. Like, just, like, not even, like, I don't remember if it was romantic. But it was like a very big, like one episode plot point that she was really empathic to Cupid's. And it became this thing and then it never went anywhere. It never like returned until the eighth season where she ended up falling for a Cupid. And it's like this whole thing. And I was rewatching it and I just like was sitting there like they went back to this early episode. That was just, there's so many like, you know, characters, like fantasy characters of the week, like monster of the week Mm -hmm. type things. And they really like looked back and they were like, which one of these did Phoebe really work with? And why did it work with her? So then... When I had been watching originally, I was like, oh, this is kind of silly that they threw with her this nice guy, like, who's a Cupid in the last season just to, like, tie her ends together. But it really worked well with one of the earlier episodes. And I just really think that's something I really value because when you love something a lot, you want it to end well. And it was, yeah, it went through really terrible ups and downs. But, like, I still love it a lot. Mm-hmm. And then my other one um, is... I, I have a charm story. Really? One episode of Charmed. Which one was it? It was something about like the house was haunted and they. That happens all the time. Un- the Woogieman? They dug up somebody's grave at some point. This happens and, like, all the time. Destroy the book. Anyway, <laughs> I wasn't allowed to watch Charmed. Theme of the podcast. I wasn't allowed to watch this. We had a friend come over who was allowed to watch Charmed and she was obsessed with Charmed. She was desperate to watch this episode. So my mother let her watch this episode and it so scared the crap out of me. They had some. <laughs> It was, like, for every season, there was probably one or two episodes that were really scary. And I mean, I am easy to scare. No, no, no. Like was ten times easier to scare back then. No, there are still episodes that I, like, get either jump scared from or just, like, the concept is scary. Like, mm-hmm. um, they, like, brought the boogeyman to life, mm-hmm. like, for real, but it's called the woogeyman, and you, like, find out that it's actually called that, and, like, so they thought their sister had a lisp when she was younger and calling it the woogeyman, nice. and they were making... Yeah, it's, like, terrible. <laughs> like, the concept that the boogeyman is real... And that their sister saw it and, like, knew that it was real and she was telling them and they were like, no, it's the boogeyman, you're wrong. And she's like, no, it's the boogeyman. And, like, that's the whole, like, not the whole premise of that episode, but just, like, it's very, um, like, they kind of really get into, like, a lot of elements of, like, what makes people scared about magic, like, the idea of magic. And also then, like, they took, like, a weird turn towards 
fantasy stuff. Like a lot of um, fairy tale characters came involved. There were mermaids at one point. They became he, Greek gods. I think I saw one episode mm. at one point. There were superheroes. No, there was a body swap. <laughs> that happened. Oh, that was one of there the first episodes I saw. There was a body swap. And, and two like, sisters it, swapped. No, it, oh, was, okay, a, it was a guy and a girl, and I think she was pregnant. At the oh, time, yeah, that's and, like, a great episode. And so he's just like, my, God, my boobs are so sore. Yeah, that was when Piper and Leo's marriage was on the rocks, and they had a body swap. What's their marriage not on the rocks? Their marriage was on the rocks, like, half the show. Um, it was a, you can't be a witch and marry your angel. It's really difficult. And then my other one, which was probably just as integral in my life, and I ranted about it a few weeks ago, so if you want to go hear my upset about that book, um, Sherwood Smith's World's um, Crown Duel was, like, the love of my life, like, the book I still have from when I was in fifth grade, and I brought it to Nesher with me for a summer, and I read it, like, every single week in camp, not because, like, I didn't have anything else to read, because there were tons of other books to read, but I was so obsessed with this book, and I also laugh at myself back then, because I did not remember uh, no, I didn't remember. I, I was so dumb. I didn't, like, perceive a very obvious plot twist that the guy who she hated is the guy who she loves. And, like, I just thought, like, I was like, who is the mysterious man sending her letters? And, like, <laughs> laughing at my stupid fifth grade self who did not know these Aww, obvious, obvious tropes. <laughs> oh but I still that's love so it. Precious. I love their relationship. I love the world building in Sherwood Smith's Sartoria Stella series. I wish... She had a good editor. I'm still praying. Um, but yeah, I, I think that she, I still quote like a lot of lines from that book to myself. Like my favorite line is, it's like stupid. Like these are really easy things. Like like people change or they turn into stone. But I always just think that when um, like change comes into my life, like that was something I read when I was in fifth grade and just the characters were really, there were good ones and there were bad ones. And there were ones who you knew. The, the main character is a very, I'm going to say she's not bright, but she's very sheltered and not very worldly. And that's that's for a variety of reasons, but like she doesn't know, she has to learn how to deal with the world around her when she gets thrown into things. And she doesn't really. And as a fifth grader, this was really appealing. And as an adult, it's still really appealing because you don't really know how to deal with your world uh, around you. So I read it like once a year. Um, I still love the story. I wish, I wish there was an adult version of the story. Like I wish they would make it into like an HBO show or something. Um, so that it could get like an adult, adult sized version because <laughs> like, I wish it was a little bit more nuanced and not as a, as a young YA novel, but it's still great. See, this reminds me of one of my forever faves, which, cause you mentioned rereading it and reading it like every year. And I, the book, uh, Shane by Jack Schaefer is like, it's a like cl- the movie Shane? <laughs> Like the movie, Shane, which the book came first. Yes, I know. <laughs> um, the time? book is from 1947. It is a Western. It is a classic. I do not like Westerns. I do not like classics. But this book, for some reason, I I picked it up when I was... when I was The first time I tried to read it, I didn't get very far. Um, but then, like, maybe when I was, like, early teens, I tried it again. And I... It is one of those stories where, like, the the character doesn't understand what's going on, you know, and so it's, um, so you're seeing it through this eight-year-old child's eyes, and so he doesn't understand what, what's going on. New York City outside. He, uh, also, he doesn't, he doesn't know what's, he doesn't know, always know what's going on, um, but that's okay, because when you're a kid, and you're reading it through his eyes, you're like, 
I don't know what's going on either, you know, and he's like up front when he's like, I have no idea what was happening between my parents right then. Like, I, I this is over my head. This is beyond me. <laughs> like, I don't know what they're talking about right now. Um, and yeah, and there was, so there's all these dynamics that he's like observing and they're all there. And, but he doesn't understand them. And as a young reader, I didn't understand them either. And, but then I would read it again the next year and I would understand a little more. Mm-hmm. And I would read it again later and I would understand a little more. And I felt like, you know, every time I read it, I understood more layers because it was all there in the first place. It was just, you know, not being spoon fed to me by the character because he didn't understand. Um, and yeah, it's, it's a really great little story. It's very short. Okay. Um, it's, it's a very short book. It's like 119 pages, the version that I have. And it's just all of the characters just feel really earth down to earth and very real in a way that like other characters, you know, and they don't feel like archetypes or cliches. They just feel like real average Joe people trying to make it in, you know, the old West. And then this guy comes up the road and, they take him in, and he doesn't talk about his, he doesn't talk about his his past. And he, um, but then you know, you ter- it turns out that he is this incredible gunman. Anyway, he's kind of basically like a superhero. Oh, the origins of this yes. superhero. Yeah, and so yeah. like he, the book is referenced heavily in the Logan movie, but um, I had mixed feelings about that. But I can understand why because Shane is essentially a superhero, just real world superhero. Okay, so I think that's actually going to wrap us up for uh, this episode. Um, also, Mulan. Mulan is the greatest spy. Um, <laughs> um, Tamar, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, you can find you can find you can find me at on Twitter at Tamar Writes and also on Instagram at Tamar Writes, and you can read my rating at Billboard.com. NSM. You can find me on Facebook, and you can find my fiction on my Amazon page at amazon.com/author/smr. And you can find me on Twitter at Ink as Rain. You can find my writing at hyperbolt.com. We are on Twitter at, at Jewish Fangirls. You can find us on Facebook. You can email us at nicejewishfangirls at gmail.com. Um, thank you to our editor, Jamie Bloomberg, who you can find at jamberg.me, uh, who is our amazing, amazing editor and allows us to get this show out correctly. Um, and also, be sure to check out our Redbubble store if you have time. So, and leave us a review on and iTunes. And leave us a review on iTunes. Thank you. <laughs> All right. So that is going to do us for do it for us for this week. Live long and prosper, everybody. You keep going into an untamed game. <laughs> <laughs> um... Yes, by the way, just setting the scene here. Most of the time when one of us is talking, the other two are looking at memes on their phones. <laughs> I play games too. <laughs> I, I try to be very good so. and make eye contact with the person who's talking. I think it makes I, them uncomfortable. I used to, but then like, I was just, I have ADD. I went to SAR. Yeah. yeah. That's okay. So what's my excuse? Um, <laughs> it's really funny, actually. <laughs> Yeah, Jamie, so, you can put this in the end. 